Here's how we're going to start tonight. Everybody's favorite way to start. I've got a quiz for you. All right. All right. So I'm going to hand it out to you. You are going to you can work with a partner or you can do this solo. But the whole goal is to identify the phrases that are in the biblical text. The phrases that are actually in the biblical text. Okay. Don't use the Bible. It's not an open book test. You can, can't use your iPhone. No researching allowed. You can collaborate, yes. A couple of you can look together because probably your collaboration is going to cause confusion, not clarity. Here's some of these. You are. Here you go. Yeah. Here, just there you go. Take a few. There's a few. Well, here's a couple more jacks joining you over there. All right. There we go. So take a couple of minutes. Which of these are in the biblical text? Take a couple of minutes and just circle the ones that are. Now, here's the here's the thing. Don't cheat and put maybe or could be or mama told me it was. None of those. Primarily, yes. This now it, it may not be exact, but these words are in the original language the the exact phrasing most of the time is going to be king james it's a quiz y'all can work together charles did you get one from miss ann back there y'all gonna work together (laughs) how do you think that makes your family feel right there abandoning the family i saw that now most of you are people that read through the bible last year so you right all right, let me give you a little hint. You get a couple more minutes. But half of them are in there and half of them are not. Six are in, six are not. <laughs> and we're going to do this by democratic vote, and then I'll tell you what's right. Randy, you ever walk in late on a quiz in school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about it. Hey, by the way, just to let you know, those of you that ate supper, the main reason we're doing this is like I just heard, I know that that fried chicken and banana pudding is settling good right now, and some of you would settle real good in that pew, all right? So this is to get your mind going, all right? So uh, I want to see a show of hands. How many people think ashes to ashes, dust to dust is in the Bible? And you would be incorrect. All right. How many people think the apple of my eye is in the Bible? How many mark that? That is found in Zechariah 2.8. Zechariah. Z-E-C-H-A-R-I-H. Zechariah. 2.8. Eat, drink, and be merry. How many people think that's in the Bible? Luke 12.19. They say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. Twelve nineteen. Like mother, like daughter. How many of you think that? Ezekiel sixteen forty four. <laughs> Ezekiel sixteen forty four. All right, we've got three in a row. How many of you are batting a thousand right now? Look at Miss Teresa, our star pupil. Cliff's not, so he must not have listened to her over there. 
interesting, interesting conversations tonight at the Johnson household. All right. Eat sour grapes. How many think that's in there? Ezekiel 18.2. Ezekiel 18.2. Okay. The prodigal son. How many think that's in there? That phrase is not in the Bible. Now, it may be in your Bible because it may say it above the story, but it's not in the Bible because that's a heading somebody came up with. All right? A drop in the bucket. Let me think that's in there. Isaiah 40, 15. It says a drop in the bucket. <laughs> it's been a little while since I looked at it. Isaiah 40, 15. All right. The Lord's Prayer. Not That phrase is not in there. The Lord's Prayer is in there, but that phrase is not in there. This too shall pass. How many think that's in there? That's not in there. <laughs> not in there. Confession is good for the soul. Not in there. You should have listened. That, the moral of tonight is Cliff should have listened. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> honesty is the best policy. How many people think that's in there? Well, look at there. We're batting a thousand there. That's not in there. The, the skin of my teeth. Job 19.20. Job 19.20. Just in case, and just for clarification, Isaiah 40.15, Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. So that was fun, wasn't it? We won't get to a lot of those. That's why we did them. But tonight, we're going to talk about uh, one that's in there. Now, I want you to know it's not important to know every word that's in the Bible. We need to know the Bible. We need to be familiar with it. But just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to know everything. I read a story this week about a guy that wanted to join a church, and he was from um, Texas. He was from a place called Smith County, Texas, which is over in East Texas somewhere. And he, he went to church, and he said, uh, I want to join the church. And the pastor said, well, in order to join our church, you've got to answer some simple questions. He said, okay, well, tell me where Jesus was born. And he said, well, I don't know where he was born. Was he born in Longview? And the pastor kind of laughed about that, said, no, he wasn't born in Longview. You can't join our church. So he went down the road. He went to another one, and he said, uh, I want to join your church. He said, well, that's great. We just have to ask one question, and then you can join. Um, where was Jesus born? He thought, well, great, it's the same question. I, I don't know, but... Was he born in Tyler? No, sir, he was not born in Tyler. Well, and you can't join our church. Well, he was pretty exasperated, but he said, I'm going to take one more chance. So he went to this church, and he said, I want to join your church. And he said, that's great, you can join our church. And he said, you mean I don't have to answer a question? He goes, no, 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 you don't have to answer a question. We want you to come, and we want you to learn the Bible here. You don't have to know it before you come. And he said, well, this is my kind of church. He said, let me ask you one question. Where was Jesus born? And the pastor said, well, he was born in Palestine. He said, I knew it was East Texas somewhere. I knew somebody from Palestine, Texas, by the way. So you don't have to know it all, but it's good to be aware when people say, like it says in the Bible, and it's not there. For instance, when it says in the Bible, spare the rod, spoil the child. It doesn't say that in the Bible. 
It doesn't say spare the rod, spoil the child. What was that? Was a comment back there? No, it's, I don't think the word beat them is in there either. But it does not. Where This particular phrase, the best we can trace it, I've looked up some stuff, is to an 1663 English poet named Samuel Butler. And it's a book-length poem, which we all write every day, I know, book-length poems. And it is a satirical attack on hyper-legalistic Puritanism. That doesn't sound fun at all, does it? Hyper-legalistic Puritanism. That's kind of saying piling on top. This is what Butler wrote. What medicine else can cure the fits of lovers when they lose their wits? Love is a boy by poets stilled, then spare the rod and spoil the child. Now, probably in English it rhymed better than I just did, but that's where the best we can find it comes from. Now, the Bible says something similar. Proverbs 13:24 says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline. In the 21st century modern culture, the rod is not a popular subject. But what the Bible actually says is stronger than that. It doesn't say if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. It says you spare the rod, you hate the child. The Bible is saying that correction is a part of what ought to be in your parental bag. Now, we would admit that parenting, someone has said, is the only profession where when you finally have the maturity and experience to do it well, you find yourself out of a job. Now, when you finally learn everything you want to know about parenting, they're gone. Well, yeah, you can talk to your children about how to raise theirs. But somebody said, that's why grandparents are such great at being grandparents, because they've learned all the lessons. And it's a part-time gig that they know how to do full-time, right? And the point of that is to say that we must be about parenting our children. Now, parenting is one of those things you learn as you go. And it's not just you learn as your children grow up. It's you learn as you have more children. Uh, Somebody has written, you've probably heard some of these, but the way you change parenting between your first and third child, right? With your first child... For the ladies, you talk about when you start wearing maternity clothes. With your first baby, you begin wearing them immediately upon hearing the doctor confirm your pregnancy. With your second one, you wear regular clothes as long as possible. For your third one, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. Preparing for the birth. With your first baby, you practice deep breathing regularly and religiously. With the second baby... You don't practice breathing because you remember it didn't help at all the last time. And with the third baby, you ask for an epidural in the eighth month. When the baby cries at the first baby, at the first sign of a whimper, you pick up the baby immediately. With the second one, you pick up the baby only when you're concerned that it's going to wake the firstborn. The third baby, you teach your three-year-old how to rewind the swing and play with the little baby. When you're... uh, Investing in babysitters. The first time you have a babysitter with the first baby, you leave uh, your baby with the sitter, you leave names and numbers, and you call five times to check on the baby. 
The second baby, before you walk out the door, you leave a number where you might be reached if necessary. And by the third baby, you say, please don't call unless there's blood, all right? Activities at home. Your first baby, you spend time every day just gazing at the baby. The second baby, you spend time making sure the older child isn't poking, punching, hitting, spitting on the baby. And with the third baby, you spend a little bit of time every day hiding from the children. Here's the last one. With the first child, you rush the child to the hospital when they swallow a coin. Demand an x-ray. With your second child, you carefully watch for the coin to pass. With your third child, you just go ahead and deduct it from the allowance. Right? So it changes. But one of the things that needs to be a part of what we do is godly biblical discipline. All right? Now, here's some things from that, that verse, okay? Which is not spare the rod, spoil the child, but is if you spare the rod, you hate the child. One of the things that we need to realize is uh, they're, they're, we're going to talk about five kind of points. And the first one is kind of a strange one to think about, but it's be cautious in using your hands. Here's one of the interesting things when the Scripture talks about discipline. It almost always mentions some kind of disciplining instrument, like a rod. Now, part of that, some people, well, that's just how it went, but part of it is because you want to develop this understanding of discipline, but using your hands can lead to things that association isn't good. Um, God instructs parents to use a rod. It's a neutral object. It's much better to use a switch. How many of you had your mom made you go get a switch? Or in the first, uh, in the first at four o'clock, we had one of our ladies say that they used to make their son go pick out a switch till he started going bringing back a blade of grass. I said, well, in my house, it was told you go get a switch by my granny, and if I don't like it, I get to choose, right? So you were you guarded. So using a switch or a small stick or a paddle or fly swatter or spoon, whatever. You want your hands to be about um, embracing, loving. It's never appropriate for parents to use their hands in any kind of abusive way. Um, I, I used to have a, 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 a cousin who was older than me, and uh he would, he would always thump his kids on the head. I mean, you know, that, just thump them all the time. And just, and he, he some, some families do that, and it's kind of, you know, playful. This was like, boom, you know, like really at them. And uh, I could just see kind of the resentment sometimes from the kids. The word rod here that was used is the term that's used for a shepherd's rod. Um, it, it was how shepherds tended sheep. They, they rarely beat a lamb. Instead, they would firmly strike them on their hindquarters. That's what I tell my children. I'm about to firmly strike you on your hindquarters, right? They would firmly strike them on the hindquarters, on the rear end, to get them to go in the right direction. The, the sheep came to fear the rod. In fact, the, the sheep never really feared the shepherd, but if the, the sheep started to wander off, the shepherd could just throw the rod in front of the sheep, and the sheep would turn around and get back in line. He became to fear the rod. Now, I, I don't know what, what y'all have done as parents or grandparents. I can tell you that, that we use a spank spoon. It's a wooden spoon. It's 
uh, it came in a set of five, and we have one left. And miraculously, it's the one that hasn't left. My kids aren't real happy about that, but it's there. And, and we've, we've learned to use that as a discipline tool, and we, we don't have it all figured out. But what we do have figured out is whenever we say, I'm about to go get the spank spoon, it's like throwing the rod in front of the sheep. They go get back in line. And it's not associated with us, although we're there, but it's not um, with our hands. Someone has said that uh, it's no fun to use the rod to punish your child, but the Bible says it's an important part of directing their lives. And God, this is a line you can use with your kids, all right? God has equipped children with a perfect place that has plenty of padding and no vital organs. Right? Somebody said when your kids are good, pat them on the back, and when they're not, pat them a little lower. Now, even saying what I just said in some places, and maybe in some of your minds, would be radically, politically incorrect. I just know what Scripture says and what is necessary to train up a child in the way that they should go. I mean, I grew up with my my Granny Nell, my, my mom's mother, Granny Nell, we used to stay at her house in the summer. There were four grandkids. My brother is the oldest. Um, then we have a, a cousin. I have a cousin that's three years older than me, so right in between Brian and I. And then I have a cousin that's six weeks younger than me. And so there were four of us in a five-year time span. We were all together. We could get in some mischief. And my granny weighed about 105 pounds on a really good day. She was just a small lady. It was her whole life. And she had hanging on her wall something called a helping hand. Anybody ever seen a helping hand? They sold those things. About this thick, some kind of wood or pressed something. All I know is my 105-pound granny could make that thing sting. And she would just say to us gently, if y'all don't calm down, I'm going to have to get a helping hand with you. And that didn't mean I was going to find somebody else. That meant I was going to get the helping hand. My dad, I've told, I've told this in a, a couple of places, my dad um, one day went outside our house and there laying on our patio was a paddle that our neighbors down the street had decided their dad no longer needed to use. And they left it for us. And they hid it for a while and then they left it for us. Uh, now, in their defense, their dad was a professional wrestler. All right? He, he wasn't a good one. He was one of the ones, well, I mean, in the script, he was one that got beat up all the time. All right, he wore a mask and he got beat up, and so he was a big man. He he still, 20 years later, I remember he moved us and he and his brother picked up our refrigerator just straight. He just so in their defense, I'm sure that he can make that paddle sting. My dad thought that was a gift from the gods. He painted it bl- red all the way up and down. He carved a number one in it. And he wrapped black electrical tape around the handle. Yeah. I'm going to go get number one if you're not careful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was, an, it was a full paddle. It was, it was thin and it, it, was, it was perfectly designed all right, for the job that it was going to do. Now, my brother, will, when I tell that story around the house, my brother says, well, you never even hardly got it. You got fewer than you needed and I got more than I needed. To which my response is, we got exactly what we deserved, all right? But here's the point about all that. My dad did, I, I did get 
whippings, spankings. But I never thought my dad, I never thought he enjoyed it. And it was not him. It was That paddle was an extension of him. And it seems kind of crazy. And when I first started researching, I, thought that's, I read that in the comments. I was like, that's not what that passage, that's not what's behind it. But when you see the preponderance of evidence in the Old Testament, it says to use within reason something like a rod. Now, here's the second thing. It says never punish in anger. Never punish in anger. There's a huge difference between abuse and loving, caring, biblical discipline. There's no excuses for abuse, and abuse most often happens when anger is involved. In Proverbs 13:28, the King James Version translated, He that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Exactly, right? I don't have a clue what betimes means. So I went and looked it up. And it means that you chasten him carefully with thought. It's bad to punish when you're mad. It's, time to pun- it's bad to punish when you're in front of other people. There's a proper time and place for it. It should be done after you've calmed a little bit. A lady passed a man at a grocery store one day, and he was standing behind the shopping cart, and inside the car was a three-year-old boy, and uh, the three-year-old boy was just screaming at the top of his lungs, and the, the, the man behind was just going, Easy, Albert. Settle down, Albert. Albert, take it easy, Albert. She stopped and said, Sir, I just want to commend you for the gentle way you're speaking to Albert. He said, Oh, his name is Sam. My name is Albert. Right? Physicians have this slogan. When a patient is having a heart attack, the first first pulse you take is your own. So make sure that you're in a place where you can help them. When your children, and we've been there, I mean, as a parent, grandparent, you've been there when um, they just get you fired up a little bit. Don't do this, and they look you in the face, and they do it, or you told them not to do something, and you walk away, and it's done, and you find it, and you're just upset that the blood pressure rises, and in those moments, it's good to step away for a second. So never punish in anger. Third, don't make idle threats. Worst thing you do is threaten and then not deliver. You warn your child not to cross the street. They cross the street. You tell them, if you cross the street, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to give you a spanking. They cross the street. You go over and you get them. You bring them back and say, well, next time you do that, you're going to get a spanking. Or next time, I'm really going to spank you. Don't threaten unless you're willing and serious about going through. Now, let me say that something like spanking, the the rod that we're talking about, ought to be reserved for um, deliberate disobedience, serious, don't do it for, you know, everything. shouldn't ever be used for mistakes or accidents, but it should be used for real disobedience, serious stuff. And when that happens, if you just say, well, next time, you're teaching a lesson of getting away with it. A few years ago, Ann Landers offered a newspaper column entitled How to Be a Stupid Parent. And she wrote, let your kids get away with anything until you get fed up. Then lose your temper, holler, scream, go wild and clobber them. If they turn out well, it won't be because of you. It'll be a miracle. 
don't make idle threats. Talk about before and after the punishment what you're doing. When he deliberately violates the rules, it's time to apply the punishment you promised. It's time to talk to him about it. It's time to remind them that you discipline because you love them. That's what the Bible says. There's a warning beforehand. There's the disobedience. There's the punishment. And then there's the time afterwards when you sit and talk with them about what had happened. Sometimes the, um, sometimes the rebuking phase is the most painful part, the actual spanking. I mentioned that we have the, the spank spoon, and when we say that, that, that um, the boys just, I mean, they fall apart. If they know that it's for them. But when it has to happen and we, we follow through, there's that time that is as important as anything else. Is we always do that, then we make them sit in the room for a minute, is to go in afterwards and sit down next to them, hug them, love them, talk about why they messed up. Don't ever use your affection as a ploy to make them feel more punished or the withdrawal of it. I remember when Susan and I, um, we weren't even married yet. We were, we were engaged, and I was working at Inglewood uh, Baptist Church and as the college minister. And knowing the pastor knew we were leaving because the pastor was Susan's dad and he knew we were getting married and leaving, and so they had to figure out how to replace uh, what I was doing. And so they called a young lady named Denise Lopez. Some of you all know Denise. She's done our women's event. Denise came and took my place as college ministry and doing women's ministry. First time they had a women's minister at, at Inglewood. And they were the first kind of family that Susan and I hung around that had young kids. And, and I, remember, I still remember vividly going over to their house and all of that and going out to eat with them, you know, uh, she had been Susan's youth minister, and we had, we had all that stuff. And so we, we kind of bonded. And I still vividly remember when they had, they have a, at that time they had two kids. They had Anderson, who's their oldest girl, and A.J., who was uh, their son. And, and A.J. was younger than Anderson. And I remember, you know, just crazy things you remember. I remember being at O'Charlie's in Jackson. And A.J. did something he wasn't supposed to do. And I remember Carl, the dad, you all haven't met Carl, but that's Denise's husband, saying, AJ, we told you if you did that, you were going to get punished. I'm about to take you away from this table, and I'm going to punish you. I want you to know it's because I love you that I punish, but you have to serve the consequences of your actions. And I just remember as a 21-year-old, soon-to-be husband, being impressed with the manner in which he did that explaining what's happening, but following through. Um, making sure that you explain afterwards. So don't make idle threats. Here's the last thing. Praise more than you punish. The message of spare the rod and you hate the child is more about punishment, but there ought to be praise involved. A shepherd used his rod to direct the sheep and to protect them from harm by teaching your child right from wrong. You're actually protecting them. But we have to be careful. There's that verse in Colossians 3.21 that's directed towards parents. It says fathers, but it could be for both. It says fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. Parents, do not come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. I mean, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a friend, are you the kind that... If they bring home a report card with four A's and one B, you focus on the B? Or do you focus on the A's? 
Not that you don't mention the other, but do you focus on, man, I'm really proud of you in these four A's. You did a great job with that. Now, tell me how this turned out to be a B. Or the first thing you say is, well, what happened in science? You got an A in everything else. What happened in science? You see the difference? Now, now some of you say, well, I'm just geared that way. Well, Scripture teaches we ought to be praising and encouraging don't want to embitter the children. So the, the Scripture never says, spare the rod, spoil the child. It never says that. It, it's stronger than that. It says, spare the rod, and you hate the child. And, and it made me think about, well, what are the positive results of not sparing the rod? I mean, we could talk about what it means, but what are the positive results? And here's one thing, that biblical dissonance is a lesson in love. The primary text that we say says, if you spare the rod, you hate the child. But right after that, it says, which, by the way, the word hate there means you consider them an enemy. The second half of that verse says, but he who loves his son is careful to discipline him. Now, when my dad used to use the number one paddle, he would say, son, I'm doing this because I love you. And it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I was convinced that was a bunch of baloney. Now, what I've discovered is it's true, but it's different. Right? It's different. God loves us unconditionally, except sometimes he has to punish us. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. When we're in the middle of God's chastisement, we're in the middle of God's punishment, we may not think God loves us, but He does. The most loving thing you can teach your children is there is a difference between right and wrong, between good and bad, between correct choices and wrong choices, and that wrong choices have unpleasant consequences. So it, it teaches biblical love, but it also roots out rebellion. It roots out rebellion. There are two basic moral philosophies in the world, and one is that humanity is basically good at heart, and the other is the biblical view that, no, we're not. Humanism says all man needs to excel is a boost from below. The Bible says that we need birth from above. Back in the 50s and 60s, parents were taught they should never punish their kids because if you punish them, might squash their creativity. You might squash their free spirits. Some experts talked about if Junior wants to saw the legs off of the table, make sure the saw is sharp enough so he doesn't get discouraged in the sawing. But God says that we're all born with rebellious nature. Four-year-old, 12-year-old, 35-year-old, 60-year-old. One pastor said some parents don't want to spank their precious little because they think they are a tiny rose just waiting to bloom and develop. Sadly, if you don't do something to break the stubborn, rebellious will of your child, that little rose will go up and give you a black eye. Sometimes we see toddlers stop. Oh, that's cute. But if you're not careful, it can be dangerous. You're teaching them that they are a law unto themselves. There's this trend in America today that, that secular newspapers are noticing, biblical writers, some scholars, some cultural kind of critics are noticing. They're calling it the kid CEO phenomenon where the kids, the children, the teenagers are controlling every decision of the family. Well, what they learn is that they can be selfish and can control and can make decisions on their own. 
and that they can run things. And so when they get in the real world, they have a tough time adjusting to authority and someone else telling them what to do. Scripture never, ever says that children ought to make all the decisions for a family. Never. Here's the last thing. Biblical discipline steers or should toward salvation. When you teach their child that they'll be held accountable for the actions, they're teaching that one day they'll be held accountable to a higher authority. Even before a child reaches the age of accountability, he needs to be reminded consistently of what is right and wrong from his parents. The Bible says by punishing your children when they're disobedient, you're teaching them of the reality of eternal punishment for rebellion. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Parents, your children will only be with you for a few short years. It is hard for me to believe I have an eight-year-old son. I mean, it just happened. Just was just born. Enjoy them. But we need to remember as parents and even as grandparents that we have a short window of opportunity to instill in them the values and beliefs and an understanding of who God is. Children are like wet seamen. We were joking yesterday at the Goodlessville Ministerial Alliance. I wasn't. Somebody joked to me that it's been a long journey, but Baker's Chapel is getting ready to move into a new building. And somebody said that, you know, we were celebrating that yesterday, and somebody said, well, they're pouring the, the, uh, they're pouring the parking lot and cement over there in the next couple of days. And one of them said, Let's go get a stick and write our names all in it. And uh, Pastor Roby, those of you who have been around Holy Week services, Pastor Roby does a Friday service. And uh, he was in there. He said, well, I'm on my way. <laughs> my name's going in there. I'm just joking. But you know what happens when you write in wet cement, right? It just sticks when it dries. Children are like wet cement. That's why, you know, we're, we're in the process, and we've got a committee that is looking at the best possible way to redo our children's area, our sanctuary, our church. One of the main areas there is children because we, we realize that, that we need to be a part, more a part of influencing children in this community and around us because they're not getting in other places. Now, when it comes to discipline, it's easier to let things slide. But if you do, you miss out on a great opportunity to teach them about correction and what's right and wrong. I have three kids. I find it virtually impossible sometimes to parent three children. I can't imagine what it would be like to have 17. But there was a lady named Susanna Wesley who had 17 children. Most of them became ministers or married ministers. Two of her sons some people know about are Charles and John Wesley. They kind of started the Methodist church. Wrote tons of hymns. Even though she had 17 children, she would spend time each day individually with each of them. Later in life, she wrote about parenting. And I guess she had the experience to write about it. And this is what she wrote. The parent who seeks to subdue the self-will of their child works with God in the saving of a soul. But the parent who indulges the child's self-will does the devil's work. 
and does all to kill their child's body and soul forever. Those are some tough words. But the truth is, spare the rod, spoil the child may be too mild. Because what Scripture says is, when you spare the rod, you hate the child. The Bible teaches that loving biblical discipline can keep your child out of trouble, ultimately have a major impact on them being open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is whether or not we're going to be biblically faithful or whether we're going to err on one side or the other.